Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast in English exclusively dedicated to the premier club competition in South American football, the Commonwealth Libertadores. We've reached the we've reached the semi-final stage of the of the competition, and it's it's three Brazilians and little old Barcelona joining the party as well. On the pod this week, we discussed well, we discussed the logical impossibility of Barcelona qualifying for the final of the competition against this free-flowing, fabulous Flamengo side. We discussed Hulk and Diego Costa, and we talked about Gabby Goal, of course. We talked wider stuff about why is it that, that some Brazilian sides, despite you know, despite how big they are, haven't managed to transcend the continent. Uh, and lots more besides. Ollie Wilson had some mad predictions. We talked about Argentine steak, blah, blah, blah. So much more. Mr. Wilson, decent little podcast. Yeah, the... The best moment for me, though, was uh, David Windsor describing himself as falling in love with Barcelona and this football team. And, and there's real emotion that comes through in that. And I just find it quite interesting that after covering South American football quite a lot over the last three years or so, and going through the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations, that both sides that I think you and I have really had an affinity with, with watching, have come out of Ecuadorian football. I just found that really quite funny. <laughs> Yeah, like you're we've been given fan and yeah, we've been given the gifts of you know the start of what is, and I'm sure will be some incredible Brazilian sides coming through, particularly with some of the players that they're bringing in from European football, some of the players they're putting together from all around the continent and piecing together like Atlético Mineiro. We've been given the the roller coaster ride of Gachado's final moments with River Plate. We've been given the frustration of a Boca side that have won leagues in impressive fashion right at the death, but still can't put it together on the on the biggest stage of all. And yet it's the tiny football I don't want to say tiny footballing nation, but certainly in other people's eyes. And we, yeah, compared to Brazil and Argentina, Ecuador doesn't often come up on the map as a where's your favourite South American football team from? And if you just get in, get involved in South American football, you'll find someone from somewhere that catches the eye, like Barcelona or Independiente del Valle. You know why, Ollie? You had an affinity with Independiente del Valle, and I, I fell in love with Barcelona. You know why? Why well, is there's that? Two, there's two reasons. The okay. first is that Brits Brits love an underdog, right? So obviously we can't be Flamengo or River or Boca fans. That's too ridiculous. Brits love an underdog. And the second thing, I can't speak for you, but I, for me personally, for Barcelona, I. I really began began to like them when watching Damian Diaz because I like footballers who look like they're not trying. That's like a that's a soft spot for me. Just I love watching a footballer who it doesn't feel and on the visually it doesn't look like they're putting any effort into the game. And I just love that thing because they obviously are like when Damian Diaz plays and I'm talking of course about Damian Diaz like when Damian Diaz plays for Barcelona, he He's so languid, he's so laconic. It is like he's playing in the park. And I know that's like a cliche and stuff, but even these days it becomes rarer and rarer because the emphasis is so much on, you know, how many kilometers covered and goals expected. There's so there's so much that's driven towards, I think, data. Like there's so much analysis that's, that's data-driven. And you can't really put into numbers for me why Damien Diaz is a great player to watch. Do you know what mm. I mean? Am I making any sense? No, 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 completely. I am a big fan of the eye test as opposed to talking about things like XG. You know, e- mate, I hate XG. Cannot stand how that keeps podcast. coming in. Mate, how is XG part of our lives? 
Like every time I see it, it's like, that's not a thing, guys. Stop talking about it when you're talking about football. Yeah, it's annoying. Yeah, just say they created chances, plenty of chances, and they can't finish them. But that necessarily isn't because of XG data. That's because I've seen them miss the target 16 times in a game. You know, yeah. yeah. So, and I also think you can create your own narrative, particularly, so around somebody like Damian Diaz, we've had the on-running joke on this podcast of the guy never runs. But if he continues to live up to that joke, it becomes a little affinity that you have because if somebody kind of ever points him out in another game or something like that, you'd be like, never runs, mate, never runs. <laughs> or even better, when you've got somebody points out a big-time player in European football and you're talking about Premier League, Serie A, wherever, and you just throw in just off the cuff, yeah, he's like the European Damian Diaz, this guy, he just never runs. you know. And, and that's why you can have a little, little kind of personal relationship with these sides i absolutely love it mate i know exactly what you're talking about let's get rid of stats let's just watch the games and enjoy the games right beautiful ladies and gentlemen enjoy the pod right boots and having a go oh what a strike from Jefferson Soteldo Santos double their advantage in a wonderful way and it is Palmeiras who squeeze into their first Copa Libertadores final since the year 2000 so it will be a all Brazilian battle in the Comebol Libertadores final Santos Palmeiras the search for Gloria Eterna we're back we're back Let's start with uh all right, let's start with Flamengo against Barcelona, Ollie. In the semi-finals, of course, of the of the Common Ball Libertadores. I was looking at all the stats, I was looking at the history, I was looking at the squads, trying to find a way that Barcelona could feasibly qualify over two legs. And I actually don't think there's any emotional or logical way it can happen. And I think Flamengo at five to one on is how ri- how the rich get richer. Like if you've got five grand, that is a free one thousand pounds. I thought like it's just I think it's so. I think there is such a gulf between these two sides, and I think what we, what we will see we've seen it already in the tournament. But we what we will see Oli over the course of two legs is just how big the gap in money and therefore quality is between. Brazil and the big Brazilian sides and the rest of this continent and I, I think Flamengo over two legs are going to be um, are going to be far far too much well moving on then to Palmeiras against uh, Atletico Mineiro I mean <laughs> in terms of I guess unlikely results what level to make a comparison are you putting of the likelihood of Barcelona put it into like a European football context we talking like a Leicester City winning the Premier League. Would it be as shocking as that? I know it's a different context of a 38-game season and everything. Are we talking a Liverpool comeback against Milan in the second half of the Champions League final type thing? What What are we talking here? I think we're talking... Well, the difference is the Leicester example, you've kind of, you've, you've thrown me a tough one there, Oli, because the Leicester example is, you know, their odds were like, whatever, whatever it was, 5,000 or 10,000. It yeah. was so ridiculously unlikely statistically, but it was over the course of a season. I think it's, what is it? What, how could you, um, how, how could you compare it? I think it would be, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of squad quality, 
overcoming the opposition to triumph. I think it is comparable with Leicester. Like they had a good squad then. Barcelona have got a half decent squad, but to to in terms of the quality of the players they've got compared to the opposition they will face or did face, I think that's comparable. I think it obviously it wouldn't it would resonate within South America, Ollie, like outside of South America. I think it would barely you know, people be like, oh, okay, Flamengo, aren't they supposed to be good? Like, it might clip on the radar, but not mm. really. Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I, and this is a Barcelona side <laughs> that we've been, we've been kind of eulogizing about for, for two years, haven't we? It's the, it's the same squad. We spoke about it last time on the pod. Um, I think that, it, okay, let's talk about how Barcelona might be able somehow to at least stay in contention in the tie, right? So let's talk about the fact that Fabian Bustos is a very, very clever coach. He's a very, you know, he won the league with Delphine, what he's done with Barcelona, even if they get spanked 10-0 on aggregate, I still think what he's done with Barcelona this year in the Libertadores is awesome. We could talk about Damien Diaz. I saw a good interview with him um, in the build-up to this match saying that we've got to believe, you know, we have to believe all the kind of cliches, but but I wonder if deep down he meant it. Damien Diaz on his day is great. Mastriani leading the line. Javier Burai, he's been dodgy at times, but he does have the capacity to pull off a string of big saves, for example, to perhaps keep the scoreline in check. And then you're kind of leaning on more esoteric stuff like they reached a couple of finals in the 1990s. Uh, and then from there, you're, you're reaching into territory like a COVID outbreak at Flamengo or, or something mad like that. You know, two red cards, uh, you know, Gabby Goal loses his head maybe in the first couple of minutes and elbows someone in the face. It, it, you're, that, you're talking that kind of outlier event, I think, to, to pull Barcelona in contention over two legs. I just, there's just no, no way it's going to happen, really. It, <laughs> oh, my God. It, it, it I can't mean, happen. This is... You're, so I'm the one that's been, like, frustrated and belittling the competition slightly, talking about how it's the Brazilian dominance and it's boring. And you've been the one that's been kind of pulling me through this year's Libertadores. I feel Windsor of keeping me excited. And then just at the point where I get to, yeah, but it's football. And the best thing about football, and this is my argument towards everything that you say, the best thing about football is that we do have moments like the madness of Leicester winning, the, the, the insanity of Liverpool coming back in that Champions League final. Those things do happen. And on occasion, on that rare, rare occasion, when everybody thinks the big, the big side's going to win, David does beat Goliath. So while you can say it's nailed on, everybody expects Flamengo to go and do it. But there's always a chance. There is always David Windsor a chance. And if there's one thing we can hang our hat on with this Barcelona side is that they have pleasantly surprised us by living up to our expectations. And my expectation going into this is that right now, they're one of the top four teams in South American football. If you really want to take it on just the fact that they're in the semifinals, you can argue to the death whether they are one of the top four teams or not. But they're in the semifinals of the Copa Libertadores. So they're good and they're good enough to be there. They deserve to be there. They've been a great side to watch this season. Where there's a will, there's a way. There's always a chance. And they put themselves at least into the mix to be part of this conversation. And we're having a conversation about them. I don't think you can completely dismiss this. It's never free money. <laughs> well, first of all, I love the positivity bordering on naivety it, it's kind of like the bbc lunacy i think now. Like, yeah 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 <laughs> 10 reasons footballs are mate you know that kind of stuff but <laughs> i think uh... <laughs> i am walking clickbait at this point yes dave i am <laughs> um yeah ollie i mean that's all very nice but we know that flamengo are going to win it's just a question of how many it, I, I wanted to 
yeah, I take on board what you say, of course, it's football. And I'd love to see it. You know, I, I've really, I, I'd, I'd love to see it, but it's just, uh, it's, it's just too much of a stretch. I will, I, think... I, will, I will say that the biggest fear about this Barcelona site going into it is that they don't keep clean sheets in the knockout stages of this competition this year. You know, they did in the group stage on a handful of occasions, but they've conceded, I think, in every knockout game uh, so far. And that is a worry. That's not great. Because if there's one thing you need to do, you cannot let Flamengo and that attack start to influence and dominate the game. You can't fall behind early. You have to be really, really organised. And look, Bustos might be able to do that might be able to organise and strategize. He's had a long time. The one thing, you know, it, feel, it has been an age. It's been like a month. Ages. It's been a month since the quarterfinals. It's odd, isn't it? Yeah. It's really elongated out. So you've got a month to prepare. And that is, you know the Flamengo side that you're going to get. They haven't changed much. So there is an ability to prepare for this but you can't afford to fall behind early. You have to defend on home soil. You probably need to get an away goal as well in the first leg in Brazil, I'd have thought. But well, that's the if, thing that, that, if you can get a nil-nil, you, know, you take that. Yeah, they're, they're, or mate, even if they get a 3-1 defeat. I mean, the home record is good enough that you would think that if they, you know, if they lost 3-1 or something, then you could say that's <laughs> quite obviously that's not a good result. But I wonder... If you off- well, if you offered Fabian Bustos a 2-1 defeat right now, he'd take it. He'd obviously take a nil-nil. He'd take any kind of score draw. And I, I honestly think if you offered him a 3-1 defeat in the first leg or a 4-2 defeat, I wonder if there might be a part of Bustos's brain that was like, you know what, that's not... Te- you know, that's we've given them a good game at the Maracanã and now we can go... You know, we can take a back to Guayaquil and we can have a real think about it and we can maybe get the first goal and, you know, and, and see what happens. So yeah, that 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 would be the caveat, I suppose. They've got a great record at home, Barcelona, in the competition this year. Mm. In terms of Flamengo, um, you know, they're third in the Brazilian standings. Uh, I did see they beat Palmeiras recently, actually without Gabi goal. Um, lost to Grêmio in the league recently as well. What was interesting to me is clearly Renato Gaucho has taken the time in the league recently to to really use the the depth of his squad. There was a, there's been a lot of game time for Michael and Bettinho. You'd still expect Bruni Enrique to start. If, you know, if that, if obviously, Der Ascaeta and Everton, Hibera, Gabigol, they're all nailed on. So you would expect Bruni mm. Enrique to start. But it was just interesting. You know, we saw Vitinho coming off the bench to good effect in the Libertadores this year and Michel scoring goals in the league. So maybe there's a little question mark there for Renato Gaucho and, you know, Bruni Enrique. I, w- I would still expect him to start. Also interesting how Andreas Pereira, on loan from Man United, has been starting in the centre of the park. So maybe he'll start instead of Diego. That was the only thing I thought. But, but otherwise, you, you're looking at a really... Similar Flamengo side to, to what we've seen throughout the duration of the tournament. Gabby goal with 10 goals. We know all about him. He's already surpassed the tally he got in 2019 when Flamengo won it against River in that final. Uh, did notice Danny Alves on a free potentially might be going to Flamengo. I thought that was quite interesting. He's um, The ultimate yeah. pile-on player, yeah. Mm, I don't <laughs> quite know. I, I see where Danny, what Danny Alves would get for that. Like maybe a, a good wage for a year. And the prestige of playing for the biggest club on the continent, but from Flamengo's point of view, do they need another really... uh, number ten? They don't need an ancient number ten, that's for sure, to mm-hmm. come in and a guy that wants to play in that position who isn't necessarily adept at being in that position. I mean, yeah, I don't really understand that. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah. David Luiz has been registered for the uh, latter part 
of the Copa Libertadores. We'll come on to that later on with uh, another big player who's been registered in time uh, for the semi-finals. So Flamengo have highlighted the problems that they had down the centre of the field, basically. I'm not saying David Luiz is uh, a fantastic defender by any stretch of the imagination, but I would probably say that I'd rather have David Luiz than half the other guys that have been playing in that back line in the... Uh, in the, in the back two this season so far that should anchor things up and you mentioned Pereira as well that's just the uh, the ball winner to come into the uh, middle of the park and kind of deal with what they lost earlier in the campaign so I mean they've they've taken a month to strengthen the loss against Gremio I think isn't really going to be much of an eye-opener the more eye-opening stat really from the last months that we've been without Flamengo's football is they have stopped conceding domestically they just don't concede and you can talk about maybe the the lack of quality maybe in front of them at times but clean sheets I think what four and six or three and three and six four and six uh, domestically in their last run it's been very impressive very impressive and they keep the goal tally going so while we yeah look interestingly Ollie and obviously this will bleed into the second semi-final is that uh, Atletico Minero host Flamengo in the league in between the first and the second leg of the semi-finals and Atletico Minero top of the league by seven points and you know Palmeiras and Flamengo are, they you know they need to play catch up but if if Flamengo are going to win the domestic league they kind of need to win that game I know they've got two games, games in hand as well they? yeah yeah sure sure a couple of, so if they win those I think they go to within five points or something like that um, but it does make that you know if Atletico Minero can get through that and not lose that game they've still got that cushion they're in pole position to win the title so maybe Renato Gaucho Obviously, he's going to play his best side against Barcelona. But if you know if they won, if they had a three or four goal cushion, he might he might think, oh, I can get away with also playing my best side against Atletico Mineiro in the league and then resting players in Guayaquil. I mean, I don't think that's part of his thought process at the moment, but it might be based on the result of the Maracanã. Either way, all roads lead obviously to Renato Gaucho and Flamengo doing what they do, which is go gung ho and really like you know trying to kill the tie in the, in the first leg. It's kind of nice as well. Like, obviously, in previous years, I mean, Flamengo came from behind last year in the domestic campaign to eventually win the league and, and beat Internacional in the, in the last couple of weeks or so. But it is quite interesting that the, the three Brazilian sides in the Copa Libertadores semi finals are the three Brazilian sides spearheading the domestic campaign as well, which shows, I think, the quality and depth in both of these, or in all three teams as well, and that they are able to fight on all fronts. And Atletico Mineiro, we spoke way back at the start of this year about the talk on the Brazilian streets, so to speak, the Argentinian taxi drivers talk, the Brazilian streets also talk. And the the talk was that Atletico Mineiro were one of the more, I think solid was the adjective that just kept on coming up in terms of their squad and the squad buildup. And they've just kept on adding little pieces and putting things together really nicely throughout the season. Um, So it's kind of nice that the continental stage is reflected, at least in the domestic campaign, that these probably are the three best sides in South American football. Barcelona may be the question mark, but these are the three best sides in South American football right now. And again, if you're trying to put a positive spin on the Brazilian dominance, at least we are. We are going to have probably the definitive answer to who is going to be the best side in South American competition football as opposed to league football this year coming out of this tournament. Yeah, and I think you can also say that you're going to see a lot of fun. Like, yes... You could talk about the negative elements of Brazilian domination as we've touched on the pod in the past, but the, the fun thing is is that Flamengo are going to see how many goals they can score against Barcelona and Palmeiras, Atletico Mineiro, however you look at it, okay, it might, you know, it's not your Boca and River or, you know, it's not that that might pique interest outside the continent, but certainly for anyone with an interest in Brazilian football, 
or this competition, Palmeiras Atletico Monero is a really, really interesting battle with the defending champions against probably the most informed side in the continent. This is like probably a sidebar for some sort of uh, post-Libertadores, you know, discussion that we'll end up having after this year. But why is it that Brazilian football just still can't transcend that Boca River element of Argentinian football? And and even there are sides like Independiente in uh, in Argentina that, that still probably, if they were in a Libertadores final or semi-final with a River or Boca, would still carry a fair bit of weight. Whereas, I mean, I've got an idea, but I'm wondering where you think why that, that Brazilian football hasn't quite transcended the world as much. Yeah. I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head when you say... I think maybe you can rephrase the question. It's not why hasn't Brazilian football transcended the continent. It's why have Boca and River alone transcended the continent and left everyone else in their wake, right? It's not like mm. all these other clubs don't have massive history, massive fan bases. It's not like all these other clubs don't also have like naughty goings on and like fights and drama and like amazing subplots and chaos, certainly to a kind of Western viewpoint um, that would seem quite crazy, right? So mm. I guess the question is like how have Boca and River managed to transcend that? But none of the other clubs have. We've talked about it on the pod in the past. You, average, you ask your average... European football fan about South American football and outside of Boca and River it's kind of it, it's very very thin on the ground so so why hasn't that happened um, I don't know to be honest mate I think myths in football and narratives stick quickly and so the kind of Boca River listen it's an amazing it's, it's the best derby in world football I believe but there's so many other derbies in South America but for that one to be so paramount compared to everything else I think it probably just picked up a, a bit of traction maybe in the 90s and I think that these days as well from the what happened with those two clubs playing each other mm. and the, the final being moved to, to Madrid I think that's probably cemented it for another 50 years as like oh South America yeah Boca and River right oh yeah do you remember that fight like rather than you know is Bruno Enrique gonna start or are we gonna see Vitinho <laughs> on the you know so it's, it's <laughs> yeah I just think that the myth probably got made and then when social media and everything came through and the like uh, early naughty started to come through the internet like it was just that that was the narrative that you could cling on to outside of South America it was the easiest narrative to go with and then mm. it exploded in whenever it was 20 you know uh, when was the final 15 18 I can't even remember 2017 was it River. 17 yeah yeah he is slipping by man getting see on. I want I wonder if it's as well like you know there are sides in Brazil that you've heard of. You know, I remember the first year that we went out and covered the tournament, you know, Cruzeiro. I was very excited because that's, a, you know, big name in Brazilian football. But the year after that, Cruzeiro were relegated from the top flight. And there is a bit more rotation around. I know River weren't uh, in the top flight in Argentinian football not that long ago. You know, they, they've suffered relegation fairly recently in the last, what, 20 years, 10 years or so. But in general, there seems to be more rotation of some of the big sides maybe falling afoul domestically and dropping out of that top tier. And there are so many, I think, big teams in Brazilian football and big names that it almost spreads the attention more. Whereas Boca and River, and then there's the handful of others that you kind of cling on to. But for instance, like in Uruguay, if you asked anybody about Uruguayan football, if they're going to say any club, it would be Peñarol. It's Mate, only going to be that. Uh, yeah, I mean, guilty as charged, Your Honor. Like, I remember dropping down South America and be like, Penarol, they must be amazing. Like, you know, I've heard <laughs> about them. Like, Jesus, look how many Libertadores they've won. Like, they're incredible. Watch them for the first time. And I was like, oh, 
oh they're crap that's okay, weird right, yeah fine that's that's odd like why why did i always <laughs> think they were good so so yeah a few myths definitely definitely smashed but hey, like ollie myths in south america there's a lot of myths in south america i mean don't get me started on the steak in argentina or otherwise we'll be here for <laughs> another, <laughs> a couple of hours look donny h can produce all right donny h yeah. produces yeah. all right okay <laughs> no that was that was a nice steak yeah um, Palmeiras <laughs> against Atletico Mineiro. I wish that was a line that we could leave the podcast on. Yeah, that was a nice steak. Yeah, that was a nice steak. <laughs> the best steak I've had was in Casa de Richards, I reckon. But the best chunk of meat. That I've was had. really good. Yeah, get on the Asada yeah. grill. Oh. We, only, we only got one invite, though, so I don't know what's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's good night, though. Good night. Palmeiras, Atletico Mineiro. I guess, only before the tournament, Palmeiras was, as the defending champions... You know, if you hadn't watched any of this tournament and you saw Palmeiras Atletico Mineiro in the semi-finals of the Libertadores, you'd put Palmeiras as clear favourites, right? But Atletico Mineiro's form in the league, top of the Brazilian league, as I mentioned, um, seven points clear of Palmeiras. I think they're, they're unbeaten in the last 10, won eight of those across all competitions. In great form. Kuka at the helm, Hulk scoring goals, Diego Costa coming in. Like, there's just this trajectory with the football club that I would say makes them potentially favourites in the semi-final against the Palmeiras side of... They've won three of their last nine games across all competitions. Yeah, that's not great going into a Libertadores semi-final. No, and it's the... Um, Palmeiras have been the one worrying thing about how bold I've been on them is that I put it down to rotation, kept on just saying, you know, the constant chopping and changing of the starting eleven from Abel Ferreira. This was why there was he was trying to compete on all fronts and they had the Copa do Brasil games coming up and the league games as well as the Libertadores but you do need to provide stability at some point. And again, Atletico Mineiro are a side, as I said earlier, that have not only gone and created a really solid foundation, there hasn't been that much change in their Libertadores starting eleven throughout a large part of the tournament, particularly when it comes to the key figures. And as I mentioned, they keep just adding little pieces to the puzzle. And they've been doing that really, if you look back at the transfer history for the last 18 months, two years now, when you think of... Um, Zaracho coming in from uh, from Racing Club. You look at Alan Franco, one of the best young elements of the Independiente del Valle side. Savarino, the Venezuelan, coming in. They've brought in Diego Costa now as well in the, in the last month, who is registered for the semi-finals. I mean, Diego Costa is yeah. going to be put out on centre stage. Two goals in. He's not. Uh, gonna, he won't start. No, but what a perfect player to have come on. I mean, hundred percent. Because I, I was looking at, sorry to interrupt you, Ollie, but like I saw that Hulk and Diego Costa both scored at the weekend, I think, for mm. Atletico Mineiro. Both started, both scored. And uh, and Kuka's a, a brave man. We we know that. Like he's, he's not afraid to make a big decision. But I don't think he goes away at Palmeiras in the first leg and plays both of them. I think he brings Nacho back into the side. And I just, I'll be, I'll be shocked if I look at that team sheet and Kuka's gone Hulk and Diego Costa away at Palmeiras in the, against the defending champions. And if he does do that, whoo, he fancies it. Like, he really fancies it. I think it's bold. I mean, fortune favours the brave, though, right? It does, but do it in the second it, leg. And it would go against so much of what we think about of the Brazilian sides in away from home in the Copa Libertadores. But it's a it's a plan that's just, just so crazy. It may just work. <laughs> I mean... If there's a man to pull it off as well, it's it's uh, it's Kuka. It's Kuka. I mean, the yeah, the wild crazed barbarian on the sideline, pretty much this guy of Brazilian football management. The own 
the only thing that I worry about is that I haven't, and this may be my own fallibility of, of judging this Atletico Mineiro side more than anything else, but I haven't really, they've been really solid as a side, but defensively, nobody really stands out to me. I, I love every part of the the midfield and the and the front front line, but defensively, and maybe that's great because it's a cohesive unit that hasn't really conceded many goals in this tournament so far, and they haven't really been troubled or rocked around defensively at all. I mean, the clean sheets in the Copa Libertadores just keep on stacking up for them. But I also wonder if you know they haven't maybe played any of the finest attacks in this competition. You know, River Plate. I don't know what to think about River Plate this year. There's there's a big question mark around that, and I'm sure again in a post Libertadores final pod we can talk about River Plate and what we think and what we don't think about them. But Boca don't attack. Boca aren't an aggressive attacking side. Cerro Porteño, America de Cali, uh, Guaira. That's not a tough group to pick up some clean sheets in at all. As I thought, I've been waiting for a test. This is the test that I've waited for this Atletico Mineiro defence to see, particularly away from home, if they keep a clean sheet, I'd go as far as putting them ahead of Flamengo at this point. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely fair. I think it's funny because before the tournament or just outside looking in, if you thought Atletico Mineiro were going to have to play Boca and then River in the 16 and quarterfinals, you'd say, oh, that's a really tough test, right? But it's the mm. worst Boca side for years. It's the worst River side for years. So you can't hold, you know, they're both bang average sides at the moment, right? So the fact that Atletico Monero w- went through pretty comfortably, um, or certainly comfortably against River and kind of squeezed through against Boca. Uh, and, and the way that Boca had their moments, and there's some controversy with the VAR and all of that. Like, so there's, I, I can see how the, the question mark would be there, but I think probably those questions are dismissed by their form in the league and just yeah. what they've done there. Yeah, that's so true. It, uh, you know, I think that's there. I think, um, I mean, it's a cracking semi-final. Like, if you love Brazilian football as well, you know, that is a, it should be a cracker, especially if Atletico Monero have a go in that away leg. And Palmeiras, you know, they're a free-flowing side anyway, loads of goals. So you, you could see something, and I hope you see something really, really special. Uh, what do you think about, the, you know, middle of do the you look at, at, at the game between Palmeiras and Flamengo recently? And the the three one defeat that was handed out to Palmeiras, and think that's a worrying result against one of the four sides in these semi finals. I mean, it's it's actually a good comparison because it's not so close to the Libertadores that maybe you're thinking yeah. of resting players. But again, you look at the starting eleven in that game, and perhaps it's it, it, to me doesn't still seem like the strongest start eleven that Abel Ferreira could have put out, which and, then and comes Gabigol into the didn't start. Gabigol yeah. didn't start that game. If I'm not wrong, Oli, like a little, yeah, no. Um, he didn't start that game. So, you know, Flamengo will say the same, maybe. I think it's worrying. I mean, I think the seven points behind Atletico Monero and then you combine it with being beaten uh, at home by Flamengo. Yeah, those two things will be, be worrying. They're the defending champions. Um, you know, that, that will... Yeah, it, it, it's a funny one, isn't it? But I think Atletico Monero are favourites to, to reach the final. Yeah, I, I do believe that. Predictions and Windsor. Score lines well, as well, we'll do, though. Yeah, because we'll do a, we'll do a pod after um after the first legs as well. By the way, if you're a fan of Barcelona of Ecuador, then do get in touch with uh, Wilson and Windsor's <laughs> Libertadores podcast because we, we'd love a little inside scoop on things. Um, struggling to find a Barcelona fan. Yeah, I think Flamengo win four one, and I think 
I'd love to see the teams before making a shout on the second one. But I, I think this is an Atletico Monero side with everything going in their favour. And I think they get like a 1-1 or a 2-2 and that puts them in a great position. You? Uh, um, I'm going 2-1 Flamengo on home soil. I think the tie, that tie to, stays to open. In Guayaquil. We'll see what happens on the... Uh, <laughs> okay. But I, I, Molly Wilson back in Barcelona to lift the Libertadores. Okay. Oh, I'd love... I'd, to be honest, I really would love that. I'd, so I'd never be able to do a podcast again, though. You do know that. <laughs> after, after the first five minutes of this pod. Like, I hope it happens. I genuinely hope it happens. I don't want a domination from one nation. I want Barcelona to do it. I've loved them ever since I first watched them in qualifying in um, fucking early 2020. Like, I felt, I loved that side. I was so excited by it. I loved commentating on it. So I would love them to do it. But, you know, because I'm a sane man, like, I, I just, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Sorry, Oli. Two, so 2-1. Two, Flamengo, Flamengo, first leg. Okay. Yeah, keep the tie open. But then... Atletico Monero wins 3-0 against Palmeiras. Away from oh. home. Well, do you remember what happened in the semi-final wow. on home soil last year? When River went there and boxed yeah. them. It's not out of the realms of possibility. And I think Kuka will be really up for getting some revenge as well. Really up for the revenge. Obviously, you know, yeah, distraught after the final. Yeah, yeah. Put put the knife um, in on Palmeiras early on. Go there and be really aggressive. Diego Costa's given it the big one with the third as well. Oh. Wow. <laughs> two, two big predictions. Two huge predictions, Ollie. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Are you, are you going to stay up? I'm probably going to stay up. right? I'm probably going to stay up for the Wednesday night Thursday morning which is the uh, right. Barcelona game against Flamengo I'm not going to be staying one. up for this <laughs> it's a late one yeah one thirty in the morning is the European not... yeah that's I mean you know yeah but so I mean you're see, talking to you're talking the... talking to a man that stays up till four o'clock in the morning for American sports you know, yeah, like that's true, that's my true. basketball and my NFL and stuff like that we're well into the throngs of that so we might as well add the live to Dores to the list of reasons to stay up very nice. Well, if there's a match to stay up for, I mean, it is the Palmeiras Atletico Mineiro. You might, you could watch the first five minutes of Flamengo, see Gabby Gold get his 11th goal of the tournament, and then, then tune out. I think after that. <laughs>